Hello there and welcome to episode one of Pivot the Podcast with me, Laura Oldfield. It is so good to have you here. Now, before we get stuck into my first guest, the wonderful Leah Landertz, let's talk a little bit about why this podcast, why now, why it's coming to fruition. If you've ever met me online or in person, you'll know that you might be faced with hopefully not a barrage, but certainly several questions because I love learning about people and I love hearing their stories, why they've made the decisions they have, whether they've been intuitive, instinctive, deeply planned and strategized. Essentially, I'm really nosy. And so this has been nagging away at me for so long. I knew I had to create it before the end of 2023. Right now, as I record this, it's December the 14th. It's a grey, murky day. I'm sitting in our family music room, which doubles up as my office, headphones on, podcasting mic in, and I can't wait to get started. This first podcast was a real challenge because I hadn't provided Leah with quite enough information about what tech she needed. So the edit on the sound has been really long. Episodes two, three, four, and five that have been recorded, it was far simpler to edit. But perhaps you've got no idea who Leah is. Well, by the end of this, I hope you will be as inspired by her as I am. I came across her because I already owned at least three of her wonderful annual physically printed books, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to, and then whatever year it is, That's right, these are real books you can hold in your hand, you can walk into your local Waterstones or independent bookshop, pick them up and have them in your house by your bedside. Something that's increasingly rare, but even more precious perhaps as a result. Imagine a beautiful hardback book, normally with some kind of beautifully detailed floral decoration. This year's is a black book with these fantastic vibrant colours overlaying it and it's divided into 12 months as almanacs are as she explains almanacs have existed for thousands of years and in each month she gives us information about that month tells us a story in that first page of each month so beautifully before going on to explore the things we might expect from that month both looking at what the moon's doing what we might eat typical folk songs from the period You can expect to hear about the sun, the moon, the planets. You can look at seasonal celebratory recipes. She describes it as follows. My aim is to fill this book with keys for unlocking the magic of every month to help you mark and celebrate the unfolding of each season. The idea being that we mark the natural rhythms of life alongside all the other things that tend to get in the way. But of course, what I'm really interested in is not just this wonderful book. I was always going to buy that book anyway. I've bought them for years, but Leah herself. And in this podcast, she's going to tell us all about how she's got to the point of creating the almanacs. She was a columnist for The Guardian for 10 years. Before that, she wrote for the Royal Horticultural Society and much more besides. She has written seven editions of the almanac. And she also writes Leah's Living Almanac, a weekly Substack newsletter, All of the details about what she does are in the show notes, which you can visit on my website, lauraoldfield.com forward slash podcast. I'm so pleased you're with me. And if Leah is new to you, I hope you love her. And if you're thinking, I don't know if seasonal living is for me, don't worry, this episode isn't an effort to convert you to that. 
Rather, it's an insight into a fascinating human. And indeed, that's what Pivot, the podcast, is all about. Nothing to do with gender, nothing to do with the labels or titles that we give ourselves, the boxes that we try and fit ourselves into. No, this is about humans exploring the variety and eclecticism of experience that we have. Let's get going with episode one. Welcome to Pivot the Podcast with me, Laura Oldfield, and I am so excited to have as our first guest on Pivot the Podcast, the wonderful, the legendary Leah Lander, who has been in my head, by my bedside, in my ears for years now. And as soon as I decided to start this podcast with somebody I knew I had to approach, and so with a mixture of eagerness and uh, mild nerves, I reached out to her because I see you, Leah, as somebody who has created this wonderful space in written word and on the internet that so many of us cherish, but who's come about it in a really natural, a really interesting way. And I can't wait to explore the pivots and the twists and turns that have taken you to now being the lady of the almanac. So Leah, I would love it if you would introduce uh, yourself to the listeners, who you are, what you are, what you spend your days doing. I'm a writer. I write the Almanac. Um, It's become, I I came at it from um, a background of writing, uh, gardening, uh, uh, food. I live in Bristol, uh, my husband and uh, one of my kids, one of them's left home now. And uh, yeah, I have two dogs. I like gardening, I like cooking, I like, I just, I I love writing about all of that. Were you somebody who, as a child, we'd always find you scribbling away? Did you always have a notebook to hand? Has writing always been part of who you are? Yeah, I don't know if I ever wrote stories or anything like that, but I did love, I just loved English. So yes, I was a big reader uh, long before I got into writing and just kind of enjoyed putting things down. Actually, I think I, like a lot of people, um, actually, here you go, his first pivot, um, it was quite scared of writing down, writing things and kind of felt like it was something that I would have had to be trained to do and you had to know how to do it. And I studied uh, horticulture in Edinburgh and had a flat share with a load of people who were not students and one of them was a journalist. And I remember chatting to him about um, writing and I was wanting to put something in for a job that I fancied doing and, and I was really worried about it. And I was doing a, a book review and I said, would you check my grammar? Would you look at my grammar when I've written this and check that it's right? And he said, of course it's right. You can speak. If you can speak, you can write. And it was a real moment of like, oh, oh, is it not that hard? <laughs> like I'm kind of built it up into one of these things. And I think that's really, was really good advice. Okay, that we build up this big thing between the people that write and the people that don't write. And I had done that myself. And actually, there isn't really one. Yeah. If you can speak, you can write. And there I love the way you said uh, as a child that you like to read, you know, and you did your reading before, or possibly before your writing. I think for so many of us that we forget that one of the things that makes us a really brilliant writer is reading more, is taking in from others mm-hmm. and learning from others. And just through the sheer joy of reading, you know, if you want to be a good writer, read. But I suppose it's really interesting to hear how you were getting this stuff out on paper, but actually as 
young person, a young adult starting out in the world, you're spending time with you know dirt in your fingers and feeling the fresh air on your skin and and noticing the seasons. Um, and obviously that's right at the core of, of, of what you share with us so much now. But how has it been to go from this point of having, you know, horticulture as part of a, a career that, that brings you in income and now you're sharing with us your observations and your knowledge uh, about nature, the seasons and so much more? Um, it's just been really lovely, actually. And I think what has been so lovely is to realize, to find an audience to that and to find that people are so eager for that and really need it, I think, in their lives. And a lot of people who felt or feel cut off from the seasons and from the natural world, you know, I'm really hoping that by writing the album, I'm allowing them kind of little ways into appreciating the seasons um it's been the writing of the almost has been just a really gorgeous really fulfilling experience and yeah part of that is finding this this kind of tribe of people really that sort of either know this stuff already and i get a lot of feedback of people giving mm. me ideas and telling me you know oh you missed out <laughs> this and you know, obviously and um you know but that's great because it's an annual project so i can if i've missed it i get it next year and, and so what led you initially going right back to you as that young adult going oh yes I want to be in horticulture I want to be outside I want to be connecting with nature and understanding it as you know as a scientist as well if you're exploring it in that capacity I actually wasn't hugely I wasn't one of these kids that gardens particularly um my parents would kind of garden around me while I Sunday. That's what I did back then. <laughs> and uh, so I wasn't, but I think I was quite a, I was a bit of a dreamy mm. child, you know, that. but I didn't particularly engage with garden until I left home and got a shared house with some friends in Bristol where I live and it had a tiny little garden. And actually at that time I'd left home, I'd done A-levels and then was just drifting really. I didn't really know what to do. Did know I'd I liked writing, loved writing, but didn't particularly feel any great urge to go and study it. That I slightly wish I had. <laughs> and I got really into making this little tiny garden. Really, it was so small. Like it was really tiny. I started really enjoying having a little extra space. And then a friend of my mum's came around and she was kind of giving me the sort of, worry about <laughs> you. <laughs> I said, come and see the garden. And she's a gardener too. So we were, she said, have you come see studying horticulture. No, I think you'd really enjoy it. And that was that moment of me going, oh, well, I could do that. It would at least yeah. shut my mouth. So that's how that came about, very much on a drifting. Format. And when you went into that studying, do you think at that point, how has that importance of that seasonal and cyclical living that, that nature offers us, how has that become so central to what you write about and what you notice. So I, I do quite often say, you know, we're in danger as people of missing mm. insulated life because you know, we've got central heating and you kind of jump in our cars, the food we want all year round and all of that stuff. But I think the people that are not in that situation are gardeners. You know, if you sowed tomato seeds in <laughs> December, you know, nothing's yeah. going to come with them. They are going to grow too leggy, they're going to get frosty, they're going to die. Um, you do have to know when things happen. You have to have an understanding of what nature wants you to sow in seed. So I think that that understanding of the seasons, even just in a very basic kind of practical way, really kind of came from that. And actually, now that I'm a dog walker as well, I've got two dogs now, 
I think dog walkers have a very good understanding of the seasons. And of course, you're out in every bit of weather. So you really know, like, this week's wet, this month's hot. You know, you're absolutely very physically in tune in a way that I actually was, you know, writing the Almanac for years without actually being forced out into the outdoors every How long have you had your dogs for, Leah? We got them. I think we've had them two years. Okay. Yeah. So one one kid's all grown up, so now we can get the dogs in. <laughs> when our littlest is older enough, that's when we're going to get our dogs. But but not yet. As you say, you've got to be out there twice a day. You yeah. can't quite work out that juggle at the moment. So I'm imagining you as this young woman. You've had this concerned chat from your mum's mate, and you've gone into this world of horticulture. And so an opportunity comes along to start writing about this stuff that you're doing. How did that come about? Was that something you actively sought? or was it one of life's great gifts that it just sort of landed? What happened for you next in, in your story? When I was studying in Edinburgh at the Botanic Gardens, uh, there were, there's a publication called The Plantsman, which is produced by the Horticulture Society. And at that, that time, it was produced out of one room in the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. An annual job comes up at the Royal Horticultural Society magazine, The Garden, which is a traineeship, a horticultural journalist traineeship. And I think I had thought, oh, maybe that's something I would like to get into. So I'd had that in the back of my mind. I volunteered for over just an Easter holiday, like three weeks. Thing, and I went in and put together. And, you know, this is long ago, but we literally were like cutting out bits of text yeah. and sticking them in and scanning. And uh, so I did that. And then at the end of my training, the actual job was and in fact, sorry, going back to what I said at the beginning about the book review, that was for that okay. experience. So I was doing this volunteering in Edinburgh and I, she said, oh, you better write something for the magazine then if you're going to be volunteering for us. And I was like, I can't do that. And this is when this friend said, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. We all need a friend like that, <laughs> don't know, we? He's like, it's absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> that's really not what big a deal, which yeah. is a good lesson yeah. in life, isn't it? Going through life thinking that all these people know so much more than you so much cleverer. Actually, most of them don't know. Really? I just kind of have been given the opportunity. And uh, yeah, so that was a really good, really good lesson. Um, yeah. Anyway, so after that, I went for this traineeship job garden magazine and I got it. And I think partly because I'd done this, done this voluntary work, perhaps that helped. But I think I was at that point starting to realize this kind of like, oh, I could have done English. I could have gone down that route. And perhaps this draws that back together, you know, this, that kind of love of words and of reading and of writing, uh, I know this brings it back to this horticulture stuff. So then I did a year for this traineeship at the Garden Magazine, which was amazing, amazing way into uh, writing, you know, how it works and how it's all put together and thinking of editors and all of that stuff. The internet has given us so many gifts, things like, um, you know, this wonderful new platform, Substack, so many people are writing on and creating communities there. And it is the most wonderful gift. But at the same time, it's funny, I was interviewing somebody before you whose pivot has gone from employment to self-employment. She was saying one of the things that I just really needed early on in my career was just to learn and to learn from others and, and to learn in, in quite a protected way as well. And sometimes I wonder... When you reflect on you at the start of your career as a writer and, and learning all those different skills that come with working as part of a team or for a publication, the demands that come with that. And then you look at 
these different opportunities for us. I wonder if you ever reflect on how your writing and your feelings and approach to writing might have changed had you had this kind of abundance of online tools available to you now. Do you think it's shaped who you are as a writer? Yeah, I think I, I think it must have, and in a very kind of practical way. I mean, obviously, everyone can yep. write what they want, and you should write from your heart and all that stuff. But then there's also this kind of reality of oh, this is what editors want. You're seeing it, and you're in the editorial meeting, and you're seeing what doesn't make the cut, and what you know these people that have been given a one thousand two hundred word word count, and they're writing two thousand five hundred <laughs> words. How annoying that is! Everyone in your room. We know that stuff about, and actually we, as part of that, I was actually sent off to London and did some training there. And one of the things that really stuck with me was this very hard-bitten journalist woman who took us for one of the sessions. And her big advice for journalists was, get it in on time and write it to the work. That's it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think that sort of covers an awful lot of good stuff. And I think that's kind of was really good for me to have that very kind of uh, real life mm. training um, as opposed to more often to what you want sort of thing, which I might have got elsewhere. In my professional singing work, when I'm talking to young people going into depression, I say, look, absolutely, you need to sing your best, but you also need to turn up on time and be polite because actually yeah. that's what's going to get you booked again. And actually, I felt really felt for people going into you know, entry-level mm-hmm. jobs, pandemic and post-pandemic, and having to do it from Zoom calls and do things alone because I think how do you even begin to do jobs like that when you're not surrounded by all these people that have been doing it for 20 years and all this experience that you just kind of pick up that just rubs off on you when you're in that sort of thing I think that's really really hard. So having completed um, your time at the Botanical Gardens and obviously you've been doing this this traineeship um, as as offered to you by RHS um, what was your work then looking like? I'm trying to imagine you as a kind of a 20-something. How much time is spent outside? How much time is spent typing, I suppose? No, it was very, yeah. very <laughs> typing-based. Um, I did get to go and visit the RHS mm. garden a fair mm. bit. Um, but no, it was, I think, mainly. And I was in rented accommodations, basically. Yeah, didn't really have a proper garden at that point. And then after the traineeship, I moved mm-hmm. to London. I worked in uh, another magazine, which was a weekly magazine, which was another real baptism by fire, uh, Horticulture Week. And that was, again, had a, had a garden there with pots, amazingly. I moved to London without a job. So then that was a huge amount of typing, typing, typing. In fact, when I was on Horticulture Week, there was a point where it was very editor-heavy. Okay. They had like an editor and a deputy editor, a news editor, a features editor, and uh, various other editors. I was the only reporter, <laughs> writing writer. I got used to hitting incredibly okay. tight deadlines again and again and again, I'm sure. After that, I went back and worked with the RHS magazine and a proper staff mm-hmm. job, uh, which mm-hmm. was a monthly. And then at some point, children yeah. are thrown into the mix. I, so I had an amazing job when I went back up to work at the garden. I had a wonderful job them, which involved a lot of features with the oh, gardeners yeah. there. So it's... It was really, really interesting. Yeah. But I was struggling with living in Peterborough. I wasn't really getting on with it. And eventually, basically decided to move back to okay. Bristol. Um, this is with my husband, not husband at that point, but we were you know, moving around together this this time. 
Um, so we decided to move back to Bristol, which is where I'm from. And um, yeah, got married yeah. and went freelance at that one because there was no, there are now, um, there's now a wonderful magazine based in Bristol, which is Gardens Illustrated. And they weren't here then. So I just went freelance at that point. And how did it feel to make that leap from I have a salary and I'm, maybe I have a pension, but, you know, I have colleagues and now here I am, you know, essentially on my own. How did it feel to be going out there and pitching your work? Were you able to rely on a network you'd built up? How did that work for you? Yeah, I think it was really scary at first. And yeah, I was definitely helped by the fact that I'd been working on two different magazines. So I had two lots of people that I knew quite well that I could call on and ask and that I had learned how to pitch and I knew what to expect. And so that really helped and I think helped me to kind of get established relatively easily um, but you know I mean freelance work is always up and down and all over the place and feast and famine and all that so it's not the easiest way I could have chosen <laughs> to make money but I got a big break which was that I got a column the Guardian and back then, newspaper columns paid yeah. really well. And so actually that really provided some ability. And isn't it a funny thing that, you know, it's quite the opposite today when we look at newspapers. And I suppose there's a, an unusual reassurance about that, which is in 10 years time, 15 years time, we don't even know how we're going to be absorbing and consuming other people's thoughts and other people's writing. I suppose that's why it's so wonderful that, you know, we'll, we'll come back to the almanac and explore that more, but it's so wonderful to have something physical that I can hold in my hand and read at a time when we're just consuming all this information in, in such a vast, you know, variety and quantity of ways. Um, did you feel like you were more of part of a team right. as a, a columnist for The Guardian? And what kind of things were you talking about for uh, that paper? Um. I don't know that it felt particularly mm. like a team. I was kind of brought in. They wanted a sort of young female person yeah. to put on the page. So I was um, I was along the bottom of the Christopher Lloyd page for, uh, for a long time. <laughs> and then um, and he, he actually he died. I ended up having a whole page to myself. So it was a really great, really lovely lovely thing to have. And I was writing about just, you know, having a mm. town garden. And um, and sometimes sort of writing about sort of city gardening, community gardening, things like that, which was against his, uh, you know, he had a, a he had a very big, beautiful garden in the country. So I was kind of the opposite to that. And then at some point there becomes a full stop on, on that column. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, that's quite a, a that was quite a brutal one. Uh, when you work for some organisation that feels very I felt very yeah. at home there. It felt like a natural place to be. It felt like, oh, I've arrived. I've got, found my thing. But of course, columns and jobs and every, you know, these things, they don't last forever. And I've been there for 10 years and having that bit of, bit of security over that time, particularly actually because that was over the time that I had mm. with you. Um, I was able to you know, keep writing and bring in a decent wage while having very young kids. But yeah. Yeah, it came to an end and, and it was a tough one, but I actually was, was very gutted when it happened. But interestingly, uh, when it happened, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, 
this is the best thing that could happen. I was like, oh, what do you mean? This is an awful thing to happen. And they were like, well, you know, when you're doing something like this, it's such a a safety net and it's so comfortable. And actually it stops you from finding out what else you can do and pushing yourself and finding your thing. And I was just, you know, looking at the deficit and money that was, you know, and pay the bills at this stage. But uh, I think it's true. It's true. I think it probably is best to lose the Guardian yeah. column. <laughs> it wasn't on one of your life's goals to lose that column. But it's funny because, as you say, the no, word no, that no. you use, you know, that feeling of I've arrived. You know, there was summit to my career. I have reached the top of the summit and I am there. And such a wonderful feeling when you think, oh, good, this is the marker of success that I have hit. How well, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it turns out that, you know, life has another fork in the road that suddenly we've got to take and and we've ended up in you know this 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 place of printed literature but in a different way so post the guardian you're in this point of if i can use the word probably slight panic as you say am i going to pay the bills but obviously a point for reflection and going right let's really flex that network let's really see what you know support and and connections i've built up it's funny um i've interviewed a few guests and values has come up and at least two of them have said, well, one of my values, it turns out, is um, collaboration and another one is community. And I think it's amazing how those seeds that we're planting as fellow professionals, as business owners, whatever it might be, we might not realize we're doing that at the time, but it's amazing how sometimes we see them coming to full bloom at times we're not expecting. And I would imagine there've been a lot of seeds that you've been sowing in all your work over the years. Um, and so which one of those came to bloom following... As you say, this really devastating decision that was that was made about you and, and your future and your work. So what came next? Yeah. What came next? Um, I think, yes, I immediately sort of started putting out as many feelings as possible. One thing that I had had, which I'm just remembering, actually, that Joanna Fortnum, who did, used to do the gardening pages on Telegram, now asked me if I'd wanted to work previously. And I said, I'm not allowed to, you know, do this column. So um, I immediately went back to her and started to work with her. And um, yeah, just sort of really started, you know, working, working the network, trying to, and getting really back into pitching, getting the grey matter working in that, that different way. Like, okay, now I've got to win people over was, was kind of the next thing, I think, just starting to try, yeah, pitching yeah. for books and, and putting together ideas but that was a very financially insecure time because I'm the sole owner in my family so I have to produce every bit of money that we yeah. spend and um yeah and I guess that sort of led to the almanac really oh you you know I've been dying to talk about the almanac I've had to kind of sit on my hands to not mention it much before now but I thank you so much for sharing that because if one stumbles across you on the internet now or very purposefully goes look you see this wonderfully successful writer, which you are, this fantastically creative, successful person, which you are. But to be able to openly acknowledge this feast and famine cycle of the very nature of the industry that you're in, I'm sure many will find deeply reassuring because the narrative is so often one of well, she's been doing this for a long time and now she writes books and they're really successful because everybody loves them. There's a lot else that goes along with it. So I think all the writers, artists, creatives listening, 
will deep, you know, breathe a deep sigh of relief that yes, it's us too. We hear it too. We share it too. But as you say, the almanac, which genuinely I had well before I even asked you about this, I have it in my hands here. I'll have to make a little, um, a little promo clip of it here. I just love the way you've gone for the black on the cover this year. I feel the almanac is, if you know about it, you know everything about it, like I do. If you don't know about it, you might not even know what the word almanac means. So do you think you could try and give a potted description of what this this wonderful tome, this annual treasure is? And almanac is a very, very old one. And they were created, I think the earliest ones are talking about sort of ancient Egypt, like properly ancient, okay? Babylon, all this stuff. And then you know, they have kind of carried on through a big deal in America, actually. There's the old farmer's almanac, which is several hundred years old. In UK, there's old Boar's almanac, which again, I think, started in 1700, so still going. And the idea behind them initially was very much of agricultural aid, telling you what the weather was like and when the moon was rising and the best days for fishing and, you know, all of this. Sort of that. How was that information uh, disseminated to farmers back in the 1700s? This is me getting my inner history buff on. Printing press? Uh, yeah, they would be kind of um, okay, pamphlet-y, yeah. uh, cheap, quite, quite sort of, you know, easily reproduced um, pamphlets. And lots of illustrations um, as well, do you think, amazing. at that time? I don't know. Um, I think that they probably contained a lot of adverts for, you know, um, feed yeah. merchants and, and, you know, things like that that were related. And yeah, when I first started sort of looking at, at Almanac, like I say, some of these are still going. Old Moore's Almanac is very much still going and it's still sold in the UK. But I felt that it had hangovers from being so old that were not so great in that it's still produced on very cheap paper. It's still quite a flimsy and it still contains loads of adverts, but now they're not sort of, I know, that sort of hearty, wholesome stuff. They are for, um, I don't know, cruises yes. and yes. sterling and things like that. They kind of, to me, it felt like they're such beautiful information here. They hold it, you know, it's, I'm not going to pretend that they, they're not good in, in their way. They're great. They've got all that information, but the way it's presented, not very accessible, not very, I don't know. It just, I felt like I would like to see this in a different way. And so how did the first one come about? Was that a pitch you made? Had you been having a chat over lunch with somebody and they said, oh, let's talk about this more? No, not at all. (laughs) Um, No, the opposite, actually. So I was in this kind of frame of mind of rights and I have to keep the money coming in. And, you know, I do think, I do feel that economic necessity is quite a good driver Well, creativity. It absolutely and it needs to be talked about more openly. We keep going, we're waiting for creative divine inspiration. No, you've got to pay your bills. <laughs> so I was trying to come up with things and I had written a couple of gardening books and a cookery book and they'd done all right, not no. Certainly not set the world on fire, which is what you expect. Of course, you poured your heart and soul into it, and everybody should feel the same as you do. Exactly. It was fine. You know, they were still kind of coming in. And I was thinking about, because I come from this background of gardening and cooking, I had this idea that I wanted to do a kind of through the year cookbook, gardening cookbook. And I was trying to sort of come up with a hook for that, you know, what's this about? Um, And I came up with the word month and I was thinking, okay, I make it about each month and what's special in the garden and cooking, 
each month. And then I was sort of, essentially, it came out of playing around with titles. That's right. Months, month, month, month isn't a great title. It doesn't do anything for me. And I think I maybe just like looked up word that meant around the year and uh, or month and came across the word Alma and went, oh, that's a nice <laughs> word. Lovely word, yeah. And then when I started looking at all these comments and thinking, there's a little bit of a gap here. There's a niche that hasn't been filled, which is this beautiful information presented mm. beautifully, perhaps a bit of other stuff that I'm interested in. And then I thought, and actually this comes from the kind of economic necessity thing. I thought, if you could make an annual helmet, you're going to have to keep pitching yeah. books. <laughs> you've got, you've made your own column, but it's an old book version. So it did kind of come from a slightly cynical place. <laughs> I need to create yeah. something that um, I can keep doing. I'll enjoy doing. So yeah, I did pitch it and I pitched it to quite a few publishers. Nobody was interested. And um, and they said it was a lovely idea, but not very commercial. And it would have to be produced too quickly and you know, to do it and all of this stuff. So it's done. Uh, if I did start to doubt it, actually, I think I did feel a bit like, no, I am onto something. I think I did have the confidence. I did kind of feel like I'm onto something. So I went to Unbound, who are half and half publishers and proud and they liked it a lot. Uh, but there you raise the money, uh, give you a figure. They will say, this is how much it's going to cost to make this. And um, you go away and you raise it through your social media and your aunties yeah. and your cousins yeah. and, you know, Pittsburgh's next door, everyone you can think of. And actually that kind of, because it went through that process, that quite set some things about the almanac in that they said, I think I went saying I want it to be full color. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And I would like it quite big. And they said, no, let's make it really little. And let's make it black and white and so that it can be made quite cheap and so that you don't have to raise a huge amount of money and we can do this quite quickly and get it out next year. And actually, it's the perfect little format for it because it's small and it's kind of very giveable and you carry it around in your pocket, stick it on your blue um, windowsill and, you know, it's it's kind of suits it really well. But that again kind of came out of necessity. Right? So, yeah, I raised the money. And, um, and then I think it was in, it was in October, so just before half term that we, I, it took three months to raise the money, uh, of really yeah. going at it and banging on every day. And it's always mm. a full-time job actually raising that. So that felt quite a, a risk and an investment if I had to put this huge amount of time into make, because you don't get an advance. And then they were like, right, yes, we want to get this out for twenty-eight. As it was, and uh, so you need to produce it by eight. And so then I was in this situation of like, oh, I don't actually oh, know wow. how to write an album. Yeah, well, you've got to come up with something from nothing. You know, wow. Yeah, put this thing together and found sources. Luckily, some sources for the data that have ended up becoming, you know, really good sources of data over the years and. Um, <laughs> And yeah, threw it together and it went out uh, into the well and became the first one and did very nicely. And it just sort of, it was a really strange, really strange experience, actually. Having written books before, like I say, you sort of hope that they're going to take off 
and they kind of don't, you know, most books don't. You just put them out into the world and they're and nice if you sell them. And again, your auntie comes along. And then this was a really strange experience because it just, within like a few weeks of coming out, it just took on a life of its own and it just picked up. And I can imagine what it must be what it's like to have a sort of, I don't know, a one hit wonder yep. record or something. This feel where just like, I'm going to take it off. Really viral, um, Leah. Yeah. And I think that pr- actually the process of the way the money had been raised yeah. helped you for a kind of ready made army of marketers that are all on site that want it to succeed and are, it's arriving on their um, letterboxes and, uh, they're opening it and sticking it on social media and going, oh, I, I helped to produce this. I funded this. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about it. And it just picked up really, really well, which has meant that I've been able to continue making them. And way. I just think it's, I think it's a book that I wish we all have because it, yes, it's full of fantastic information. You know, if I ever want to know, um, I love all the, all the folk songs that you include, obviously, as a musician. I just love hearing mm-hmm. that, that heritage being celebrated. And I love that you've included snacks this year as well, because we all need snacks. <laughs> I was looking at what December 2024 is. I was like, yes, I need to find some polenta. And of course, it's beautiful. You know, yeah. how can the different phases of the moon not look beautiful? But I think there's something very mindful about picking up your almanac. It's so beautifully presented and just reading and focusing in on it. It does that thing, which we all talk about so much, being present and being in the present moment. It's forcing us to say, yes, well, Look outside. That's what's present. Go and go and connect with what being yeah. present's all about. And I, I love it for the the grounding certainty it brings me at times when everything else can feel up in the air and and impermanent. Yeah. That this, you know, incredible permanence and certainty that the moon will still do this and the oceans will still do that and the seasons will come and go and we're part of it all. It's a rather um, at times overwhelming, but ultimately I think deeply comforting concept. So. I'm so glad that you stuck with the idea because I think it's the book that so many of us need. Plus, it just looks really beautiful. So, you know, as you say, it's a lovely yeah, yeah, coffee yeah. table gift or downstairs loo gift. Yeah, it was the dream really would be that people keep it by yeah. their bedside all year yeah. round. And that really didn't feel at all likely when I first did it. I thought, you know, oh, actually, people will get it for Christmas and then they'll stick it away and they'll never look at it again. But that's not nope. what happens at all. And people really do yeah. pick it up and they go back to it and they use it. And, and the way that its audience has fed back to me that they use it has actually fed into how I write it because I now really try to make sure. I mean, particularly, I think, with this 2024, I spent a huge chunk of the time that I have for writing it on the first page, yes, on the opening I page, and making it so that, yeah, you read it and you're like, oh yeah, this is what this yeah. month is about. I, this is, yeah, looking outside and I see it. And so I would say almost like a third of the whole writing time, the whole thing is spent on those 12 pages, you know, one per, per month, which, um, because I know that that's what people are really getting from it. They're getting that kind of moment of uh, mindfulness and, and, and of thinking, okay, yeah, here I am. Let's, let's clue in. Well, we certainly are. My little pitch for you for the future, we now need the Almanac workbook or journal. We need one with space so we can write. And so there you go. That's your 2025 offshoot yes. when we can all write in ourselves. 
There actually is one. Is there? there actually is one. We did one a few well, years ago. Bring it out again because I'd like it. I need to be yes, writing in it. Leah, it's been such a joy to speak to you. I ask all of my guests this um, before we wrap up, which is, are there any more pivots in your life that one day you would love to take? Any little niggling dreams in the back of your mind that go, one day, Leah, one day. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I, during lockdown, decided to have a go at fiction writing. And it's really, really hard. Uh, and uh, so far, that is not quite happening. But that is something I would love to do. I would love to be able to find the brain power. I think it's just, it feels, writing fiction I really feel the limits of my intelligence and I haven't quite cranked that. Maybe, Maybe one day. It's a new creative discipline, a new discipline. Yeah, it's really very different. Well, we will look out for, you know, the, the new piece of fiction on the shelves in, in years to come by you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been such a pleasure and um, it's been I'm really so enjoyable. pleased. Thank you, Leah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast? You can find us where you might expect, like Apple and Spotify. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast? Please would you subscribe today? Please would you subscribe?